if we uh, lift God up in the world as we've just sung, the story is advanced. So when we say, Lord, we want to be, we want you to be lifted up in our world, in our love, in our life, in the way that we live, in the way that we behave, in the way that we react, in the way that we prioritize, in the way that we, uh, the things we do, the things we choose not to do, and all those things, they advance the story. That's the whole point. It accentuates Christ. It puts a spotlight on Him because we are distinct from the world. That's what God has called us to be. God empowers us to, to do this. We, we cannot, this is not about self-help. We cannot do it on our own. This is also the distinction of Christians. This, this distinguishes us between religions of the world because we understand that we're not trying to better ourselves in order to receive something. We have received something already, the power of Christ in our life, and therefore we begin to change. It's all about the order of things when it comes to spiritual life. And Christ has already done something tremendous in our, in our lives, and for that reason it, it begins to bloom. As I mentioned earlier, the challenge, of course, is our own humanness. And everybody sitting in this room would, if we were honest with ourselves, looking in the mirror, say there is that tension that we have, that we at times give our all authentically. There are times where we authentically want to give our all. There are times where we're not quite giving our all. And if you're like me, there's sometimes I want to give nothing. I have those days, those moments where I have given and my, my giver mechanism, my needle has fallen off <laughs> and it's broken. And for that reason, we challenge ourselves because Christ calls us to this allness and yet the struggle within us wants to keep us in a, in a, a syndrome, a malady that we, we all face. It's a malady that that would bring any sports team down if they have it. It's an itis, a, a sickness, a, 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 a downfall that can take a business to the ground if, if the employees have this thing. It's prevalent in our church. This malady that I'm about to speak about is prevalent in our church culture today. And for that reason, it, it, we must speak about it. And the malady that I'm speaking of is what I call today the middle of the road. That we're, we're, we're all in at times and not in at others. And we're not quite hot or cold as we're going to see that Christ says to us. And we play that middle just safe enough to have enough of Christ. And yet not sacrificial enough and not all in enough where people are like, wow, that, that, that's something. You, you, you're really... Uh, challenging me because of the life that you live. And the problem is that we have a faith where the commander-in-chief has given us the charge of allness, that the greatest commandment is to love God, not with some of our heart, but all of our heart, not with a fraction of our mind, but all of our mind, not just a portion of our heart, our passion, our minds, but but all of it, and that, that, that's the challenge that we face. And I think Christ always understood how to cut right to the core of the nerve of where we would be challenged. When Christ said, love one another as I have loved you, he understood that that would be the challenge that we would face to really love one another as he loved us. That would be it. So when Christ said, let me tell you guys, of all the commandments, here's the greatest one. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your passion, all your emotion, with all your soul, all your interior, with all of your strength, your body, your priority, with the strength of your schedule, with the strength of your finances, with the strength of everything that you are. And to love God in a way that you love Him with your mind, that you filter what is ingested, that you spend time and discipline in what your mind does and what it thinks and all those things, it's an allness that Christ calls us to. And it's the central challenge that we face. 
because Christ calls us to this and because this is the message, the story that we sing about, it's the message that we talk about, that Christ calls us and we're saying, I'm all in. It doesn't make any sense that if we're not, it's like the NFL. We're Now we're getting down to the, the part of the season where the playoffs are coming. And I want you to just think for a minute, because I've watched football for a lot of years. Have you ever seen a football player at that level, at the pro level? Now, let's say it's a wide receiver. And the wide receiver goes out. He's running down the field. About halfway through, he just kind of loses steam. And the, the quarterback throws the perfect pass. I'm like, nah, I'm not really into it. <laughs> That'd be like really odd. It wouldn't be long with who they say they are. Like, man, I'm all out. When something happens like that, we think, you know, it's just, it doesn't match up. It doesn't belong there in that arena. It, it, for us to not have allness, it doesn't belong with the faith that we claim. My wife was in the grocery store this past week, and she said, uh, so the oddest thing happened. I was in the produce section there at Publix, and I, I was near the bananas, and the bananas started ringing. There was a ringtone in the bananas. Of course, you're standing there, well, that's odd. And there was a phone nestled down in the bananas, and it was ringing. I said, well, what'd you do? She goes, I answered it. <laughs> that's pretty cool. I'm like, you answered the phone or they answer banana? You know? <laughs> See, I answer the phone, so she, she goes, hello. And the other person goes, who is this? Well, who did you want? Because you, know, you want to give too much information, especially when you're standing beside, you know, in the, in the grocery store. Well, well, who did you want? She goes, well, I'm the owner of the phone. She goes, well, good news. I found your phone in the bananas. Now it makes perfect sense. But it didn't, it's weird. I got a phone in bananas. She comes home. She's in a rush. She comes to put the groceries up. She's putting them all up. She has to run back out. She's lost her car keys. So now she's engaging us. She goes, oh, you got to help me find the, the, the car keys. Myself, my two boys, we're looking all over the house. You always start in the most obvious of places, well, could still be in the car. That one of the boys out there with a flashlight looking in the car, looking under the seat, looking on the seat, looking in the back. Well, it could be on the end table. It could be on the, you know, the entry table. It could be in the, you know, the, all the obvious places. None, none of those places. Then you start looking in the weird places. You know, it could be in the shower, <laughs> even though she didn't take a shower. Uh, 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 anyway, I'll stop there. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> We looked in the freezer. Literally, we're like, well, she's putting the groceries up. She could, you know, could have been there. We looked in the closets and all the, all the weird places. Couldn't find it. And finally, we heard, you know, you're always waiting for the person to say, I found it. So she got, she says, from the garage, I found it. I'm like, oh, she must have dropped it on the floor. No, it was in the recycling bin ready to be taken out to the curb. <laughs> you see, well, see, that doesn't belong there. The phone and the bananas doesn't belong there. Here's a visual for you. I was watching the, the news this week, and I saw this interview of a neighborhood, regular sidewalk, regular homes, regular all this, everything, but there was something odd that didn't belong in that neighborhood. And I thought, i got to share this with the family. So I, I brought you a part, part, part of the clip. Introducing herself as Bumble, we found the abominable snowman and her poodle, Blizzard, on Libel Street in Alloway. Why are you visiting Alloway? Bring joy, happiness. Is there anything else you'd want to say to the to the people watching tonight? <laughs> Love all, care about all, beyond holidays. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Bumbo. Bye. <laughs> That is so odd. Why is the abominable snowman talking about love and joy? It's really odd. As crazy as all those pictures are, it's equally as crazy when people see a follower of Christ, a story advancer, that's not all in. It doesn't make sense. It it looks strange. And at the end of the day, the greatest downfall is that the story is not being advanced when we're living in the middle of the road. Christ, in Matthew chapter 5, pointed it out this way. You and you alone are the salt of the earth. 
What he is saying in that statement is so profoundly weighty of res- that's filled with responsibility for us. In other words, there's nowhere else that the world is going to get get the salt, the savory feeling, the sense of God being real and living in our lives. You're it, Christ was saying. There is no other. You are the only salt, spiritually speaking, in this world. But if the salt loses its saltiness, if the story loses its plot, the heartbeat of the plot, how can it be made salty again? Strong words from Christ. It is no longer good for anything. Useless, worthless, except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You see, the Bible is consistent from beginning to end. By the way, it's one of the reasons, one of the reasons I believe that it is truly the inspired word of God. Because it's so cohesive with so many different authors, so many different locations spread over a span of time. It would be impossible For this book to be as cohesive as it is without the movement of God. And starting in the book of Genesis, God begins to say, I want everything from you. That's why Joshua was commended because he was wholehearted, not half-hearted. Caleb, wholehearted, not half-hearted. David, wholehearted, not half-hearted. It's something that that Christ, God always commended and pointed us to and said, look at that. That's an example of how the story is going to be advanced. We're going to turn, if you have your Bibles today, in the third chapter of the book of Revelation. I'll give you a little bit of a head start. Because not only has God commended those who have given all, but there are times where he applies pressure to those who are not or applies pressure to us When we are not in this passage, instead of using the term middle of the road, Christ uses the term lukewarm. Many of you know this passage in the third chapter of Revelation. I want to draw your attention to the fact that he says, I wish that you were hot or cold and we'll break that down. But as you look at that, at at that, that those words that Christ says. Each side of that. That fence, each side of that road, whether it's hot or cold, when you think of heat and and coldness, it takes a certain degree of coldness to be an agent of change. It takes a certain degree of heat to actually change something. In the middle of lukewarm, it, it, it doesn't happen. In fact, Clay found a film for me this week that goes along with this. And to kind of get our minds and gear with what Christ is saying... I want you to to take a look at the uh, preparation for this verse. Revelation chapter 3, Christ utters the words that we've just read. And he utters them because at, at the heart, at the core of who he is. He says these tough words because he doesn't want us to be ineffective. Nobody, I believe, sitting in this room says, yeah, I'd, li- I'd love to live a useless life. I'd love to live a life without purpose. No one says that because we're not designed. We're not created. That's not part of our blueprint. It's not part of our DNA. So Christ says, look, I want you to be useful. So I've got some heavy words for you. Revelation chapter three and verse 14. Now, sometimes people will use this passage about what we're about to see today. For those who are not yet Christians, I respectfully disagree because Christ is addressing the church. He addresses seven churches in the book of Revelation. This is the seventh. It begins in 14. Jesus says to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these of the words are of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. He's speaking of himself, Christ. He says, I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot, I wish that you were one or the other. I wish that you were either cold or hot. But because or because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. 
uh, spew, some versions have. We would say hurl in this, in this culture. Vomit. I'm, put you out of my mouth. Like, wow, those are heavy words that Christ is saying. And you're like, gosh, is he angry with him? You'll find out he's not. He's speaking out of love. And, and sometimes I've looked at this passage and think, gosh, that's kind of weird. Christ is saying, look, either get on or get completely off. Either being hot or being completely cold, just turn it off, just give up and walk off the field. Christ would never say that. So it's important when you read the scriptures to understand the background of where he's coming from. Christ always spoke the language of those who heard so they understood exactly where he was coming from. So when you look at the city of Laodicea, I brought a map with me today. You'll notice the circled area, and right in the center, I put a star. There's a star by Laodicea. To the north, just uh, 11 miles, I believe it is, there's a place called the Hierapolis. And to the south, about six miles, there's a city called Colossae. Now, Laodicea was one of the most powerful, wealthiest cities in the region. And they were very self uh uh, independent. And so when when we see this, I'm, I'm, I'm already tuned into the story because, by the way, if you've forgotten, America is one of the wealthiest places in the world. And it's easy in the culture that we live to slip into a, a, a place where, you know, a bad day is that the, the line in Starbucks was too long. <laughs> and we really don't understand, you know, the toughness of, of life. And, and that's where they'd gotten it. It was so good for them that they had relaxed into this middle-of-the-road, lukewarm status. But to the north in the Hierapolis, the Hierapolis was a place where everybody came because they had these wonderful hot springs that they would sit in and it would bring, they, would, they believed that it would bring healing to them. And people came from all over to sit in these natural, hot, steaming uh, springs and f- for the betterment of their life. Now, just six miles south of Laodicea in Colossae, everyone came to Colossae because there were natural cold springs that refreshed people. They've excavated this area, which is now current Turkey. They've excavated this area. And they found large pipes that ran from the Hierapolis and ran from Colossae. Because they wanted the best of both worlds. But the problem was that by the time the hot water came all down those those miles to, to Laodicea. And by the time that cold refreshing water came up through the pipes. Guess what it was? Lukewarm. Useless. In other words, you couldn't sit in a lukewarm tub and think, "Woo, this is really bringing me any kind of health, right? Nobody wants to drink lukewarm water because it just is not refreshing. No one would come in from a summer day and think, wow, this is awesome. This has been sitting on a countertop for eight hours. I can't wait to dig into it, right? Not only that, but historians and, uh, and people that dig down deep in all this stuff tell us that at that time, the water of Laodicea was awful. It had so many minerals in it that it would make people sick. Sick. That's why they piped in the water in the first place. And when people drank it, it tasted so awful. You know what they did? Spit it out. I love the way that Christ comes into our world. Don't you? If he walked right down that aisle, he'd be talking about Starbucks. He'd be talking about drive throughs banks. He'd be talking about gigabytes and terabytes and all the things that we do. You know why? Because he loves us. He's saying to these guys, guys, I know where you live. I know that you operate like this. And you know that the water that you drink and they're trying to use, it's worthless. So he uses this example. Now, some people will take the seven churches of Revelation, they'll put them on a timeline, and they'll believe, they'll say that we are living in the last days of the Laodicean church age. I believe that we're living in the last days. 
Paul believed that he was living in the last days. Martin Luther believed that he was living in the last days. So should we give up? No. Live like you're living in the last days. I believe that. But when I read these words, I want us to understand that these words are not just limited to America in 2014. They have been around in every generation of every culture around the world. There has been a Laodicean slice in the church culture in every time. Now, that slice is getting bigger as we go through history. Paul told Timothy that in the last days, people will be more lovers of themselves and gave a whole list of things that's actually coming true. And so when we see this, this uh, uh, description, we certainly can say, well, in our day and time, are we living in a Laodicean church culture? Here are some things we might want to consider to answer that question. When church leaders are afraid to talk about the black and whiteness of sin in our culture, then I believe that we're living in a Laodicean church age. When I hear church leader, leaders, major church leaders, some of the most significant church leaders, I just heard recently one of the most significant church leaders in America who said the boat of homosexuality has already left the shore, the church is behind the times, and they need to catch up. I believe we're living in a Laodicean lukewarm stage when we're afraid that we're going to tick somebody off. Our goal and motive is not to tick people off. Now, mine is this morning. I'm trying to tick you off. <laughs> no, I was kidding. Our goal is to speak truth because when truth crosses the threshold of our life and we recognize that we're a sinner without God, then grace crosses that threshold and it means something. If we've just said to everybody, well, this doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. It's not a sin. All those things. And we ebb the edges of sin and tolerate the things that God does not. We are not messengers of Christ. And we're standing in the middle of the road. This, by the way, is becoming less and less popular for Christian leaders to take a stand. Because they're worried. I will say to you again, I am much more worried about what Christ thinks of our church than the world does. Any day of the week. We may be living in a Laodicean church culture. When American Christians. The wealthiest country. One of the wealthiest countries in the world. When in the church culture. Only 2% of Christians say. God everything is mine. Except my checkbook. That only 2% of Christians. Give back to God. 10%. Of the 100% that he's given. We might be living in a Laodicean church age. When this year alone 2014. Less than 2% of Christians. Will have opened their mouth. To share their faith. With any one individual. The entire year. We might be living. In a lukewarm age. We may be living in a lukewarm age. Where the front door of churches should be more like a turnstile because our skin is so thin that we just keep rotating around from place to place because we get so easily offended by things. We might be living in a Laodicean age when we're so busy that we can't give God a couple of nights a month. We may be living in a Laodicean church age and we must realize that it's not singled out to our generation. This is heavy, isn't it? Merry Christmas. I'll see you next year. <laughs> All right. Can we get to the shepherd's part of the story? <laughs> Isn't there a cradle in this somewhere, a little baby? We'll get there. The tough thing comes first. Now watch. I read these words this week, and I, wanna, I want you to see them. There is a common worldly kind of Christianity in this day, which many have and think they have enough, a cheap Christianity which offends nobody and requires no sacrifice, which costs nothing and is worth nothing. 
thought, man, who wrote that? Was that like this week? No, a man named J.C. Riles, and I want you to look when he lived. Here's a man in the 1800s saying the same thing. You know, there were men who were in the 1600s who said the same thing, in the 1200s who said the same thing, in the 800s who said the same thing. Why? Because we're humans and we all wrestle with this selfishness that it's hard to give everything. This is not even the worst of it. Yippee! The worst of it is this. Cancer is a monster. But not knowing you have cancer is even worse. My dad had prostate cancer. And for some reason, his doctors weren't doing the, the check, the, all, all the PST or PSA checks and all that. I don't know why he wasn't doing it, because my granddad had prostate cancer. And by the time he found out, because there were some indicators happening, we were at level four. You see, it wasn't just that he had cancer. He didn't know it. Because if you know it, then you can start doing something about it. Living in the culture that Laodicea did and America does, does, that is so powerful, and we swim in it all the time, this is where the greatest danger is. Watch. Christ says it in Revelation 3, 17. Hey, guys, you say that I am rich and I've acquired wealth and I don't have a need of anything, but you're unaware. You do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. Boy, I don't want those words on my resume. How about you? They had this condition and Christ saying, gosh, you're unaware of it. I was looking at the words of Charles Spurgeon, who was also a great preacher from years and years ago. And I got to tell you, I read his sermon. If you think I'm being tough, you got to read these old guys, man. They, they, they had the foot on the gas pedal. I read Spurgeon's sermon on this passage in Revelation 3. I'm not kidding you. When in my office this week, I began to weep. I got off of my desk chair. I got on my floor, on my knees, and I said to God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God, that there are still areas in my life that aren't red hot, that aren't bringing healing. There's still areas in my life that are not refreshingly cold. There's still areas in my life, and I, I'm saying this for your benefit. So like, Whoo! I'm not the only one sitting here feeling a little, a little heavy. There are areas when I read these words. Watch Charles Spurgeon. He says this. This state of lukewarmness is so congenial with the human nature. Boy, I love the way these guys use the, the language in such a profound way. The state of lukewarmness, middle of the roadness, is so congenial with human nature that it is hard to fetch men from it. I mean, once we're swimming in the lukewarm middle-of-the-road pool, it's very difficult for someone to fetch us from it. He says, cold makes us shiver and great heat causes us pain, but a tepid bath is comfort itself. Such a temperature suits human nature. The world is always at peace with a lukewarm church, and such a church is always pleased with itself. Not too worldly. Oh, no, we have our limits. I'm not going to go to that movie for sure. There are certain amusements which, of course, a Christian must give up. But we will go quite up to the line. This is what broke my heart. God, I think we should write a song. Instead of saying it, take all of me, I'll move to the line and that's it. I'm feeling it. It may be like a bluegrass song. I'll move to the line and that's it. Something like that. Constantly auditioning for the band. You may not know. We'll go quite up to the line. For why are we to be miserable? I'm not going to do something uncomfortable. I'm not going to, I'm not going to 
get into that relationship, that close. That's too miserable. That's too shaky. That's too, ooh, I, I'll stay back here. I'm not going to give of myself, my finances, my schedule, my time and all that. That's just, that's a little too much, Spurgeon is saying years and years ago. Now watch. God loves us so much that he wouldn't want to leave us in this condition. Would you with your own child if you're a parent? You would say, oh, no, man, you're missing it because you know how it is. When you're in a rhythm with something, you know, let's say you're, you're working out all the time. And, and man, it's like I, you're kind of you're seeing some results and you're kind of in a rhythm. You're like, man, this is awesome. But if you get out of rhythm, there are times where I'm working out like once a month, let's say. And that once a month schedule, man, it's rough, right? You, you haven't been in a few weeks and you're on the treadmill. I'm like, you know, and there's a little ticker that shows that, you know, how, you know, how far you've gone. And when it says like 0.8, <laughs> okay, it's not good. And, and, and it feels awful. You see, Christ is saying to us, man, being in the middle of the road is a lousy place. It feels crummy. What feels exciting is if you get in. So because he loves us so much, he comes to us and he shakes us up a little bit. So by some hope, we might be fetched out of the deep end of a lukewarm pool. Because when you're in a place that's hard to be fetched from, it takes something that shakes a bit. You see, in 60 AD, right before the gospel arrived, to Laodicea, they had an earthquake that decimated the place. God shook them up because He loved them enough to make them leery of the pagan gods in which they trusted. And all of those statues, all of those fake, false pagan gods came crumbling down and then here comes the gospel. And of all the churches that lasted in that area, Laodicea lasted longer than any of them. Because God said, I got to shake you up a little bit. He makes it clear in Revelation 3.19. Watch his heart. You can't miss it. Or else you think, dude, Christ is a bit harsh. You'll miss the DNA of his heart. Watch. He says, those whom I love. I shake up. Those who I really care for. I'm in the game with them. I love them. I rebuke them. And I discipline them. So be earnest, he says. And repent. How do you shake us up? Sometimes it's circumstances. Sometimes it's things in our life that are like, wow, man, that got my attention right there. And God says, that's because I love you. That's because of where you're swimming right now. And that, that, that part of the pool is pretty lukewarm. And by the way, Jesus would say, it's not all that great, is it? No, it's, it's not, God. It's, it, it isn't. Well, see, I love you so much. I'm going to shake you up. I don't know about you, but more often than not, the way that God shakes me up is he sends a shaker. He sends an earthquaker. He sends a quaker. <laughs> I don't know if that's where they got their name from. But he, sends, he sends a Quaker all along in Scripture. Quaker after Quaker after Shaker after Shaker. Who came in and said, hey, we gotta, we're going to do a little bit of shake, rattle, and roll here with you. Elijah, for example, found himself in a Laodicean culture where they had just enough of the one true God. But they also wanted a few other things. They were pluralists, so to speak. And Elijah came to them in 1 Kings 18. And he says these words. He said, he went to the people. He asked them a question. How long will you stand in the middle of the road? How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. If Baal, this false pagan God, is God, then follow him. But the people, silent, couldn't make up their mind. God sent to these guys a, a shaker. And I'll tell you why. Because what he was attempting to do was to build some passion. You see, the opposite 
of lukewarm is enthusiasm. The opposite of someone who's standing on the sidelines and I don't care if we win or not. Is that guy who's giving high fives and saying, come on, we can win. It's that enthusiasm. And the word enthusiasm, the root of the word is entheos. And that means in God. That's where we get the word enthusiasm from. See, Elijah came along and says, oh, you got to get in God's, because see, you're over here. You're, you're standing in the middle. No, you got to get on the hot side to bring some healing to people. Or you got to get on the cold side to be refreshing to people. But see, you're standing right here. You're outside of the whole thing. You see, in the book of Revelation, the most popular verse in this whole passage is Revelation 3.20. And this is a verse where is often used for a person who is yet to believe in Christ. And, but I will remind you that Christ was addressing the church. And Christ says in Revelation 3.20, here I am. I'm over here. I'm outside. And I want in. Not for salvation. He's speaking to Christians in the church. Christ yells to the Laodicean church culture, here I am! Because he's trying to shake us. And he says, I stand at the door and knock. Do you know why he stands at the door and knocks? Because he's outside. He's outside. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I don't know how that translates to a podcast. I'll be with him. We'll be in sync. It will be exciting. We'll eat together. We'll jazz together. We'll do all these things together. And that will advance the story in the world. That's what he's looking for. I love you so much to send you a Quaker, a shaker, so that you can get out of the middle of the road. You know, by the way, what happens when you stand in the middle of the road, right? You get run over. And in the context of what we're talking about today, we get run over by boredom. This whole faith thing I thought was going to be exciting. We get run over by guilt. I know I should do it, but I can't. And it wears on us and it runs us over. And God will send something or someone to us to say, oh, man, you got to get on one side of the road or the other. After the first service, somebody came up to me and said, Steve, you know what a cow catcher is, don't you? I'm envisioning someone chasing a cow through a pasture. Like, I'll catch you. Whoa, Molly, hold up. Does anybody know what a cow catcher is? Okay, several of you. Okay, that would be one I'd miss on Jeopardy. Uh, what is a cow catcher for 500, Alex? The, the, this is the cow catcher on the front of a train. And the reason is because you'd have these cows standing in the middle of the track, like Stella Joy did earlier for us. And, and the train would come and, and kill the cow. But they said, man, we can't, we've got to stop, stop killing cows. So they put this thing called a cow catcher, uh, as I've just learned today, on the front of the train. And it would slow down and, and begin to nudge the cow to one side or the other. Now to Christmas. We're four days from Christmas. When I look at the Christmas story, it's full of cow catchers. I know that's a strange statement. <laughs> it's full of Quakers. It's full of Shakers. It's full of those beings, sometimes angels, sometimes human beings that say, Oh, no, let me lead you over to the Christ side. I'm thinking of Mary, who's like, wow, this is a little bit too much for me to handle. And the angel said, hey, fear not. You're, you're, you're okay. This is all about God. I, I, I think about Zechariah, whose I mean, angel appeared. Oh, I, I, oh, it's okay. I think about Simeon, who talked to Mary and Joseph when they presented Christ as they did with babies. And, and he was like, this is the child that the world has been waiting for. These were These were those that nudged other people in the right direction of all the characters in the story of the christmas story i think of john the baptist as the greatest quaker the greatest shaker in that story you know there were two miracles baby miracles in the christmas story right 
that Jesus was born of a virgin, and John the Baptist was born to an Abraham and Sarah, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were well past the age that they should have had children. And like Isaac was born of Abraham and, and Sarah, so was John the Baptist born of this older couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah was serving in the temple when an angel came to him. And, he, and the angel basically said this, Zechariah, you got a shaker on your hands. I'm sending a shaker because the world is in a place where they need someone to take the shoulders of their spiritual self and rattle them a little bit. You see, in Luke chapter 1, we find the angel speaking to John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah. Luke 1, 13, the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name of John. Verse 16, watch. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. He will be a cow catcher, a Quaker, a shaker. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of another shaker, Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wise of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord full of the taste of salt. So that they can advance this wonderful story into the world. The greatest Christmas gift that you could receive in this season is someone who truly loves you well enough that can take you by the shoulders and say, dude, you're overloaded. Dude, you're, you're, you're in the middle. Dude, in this area of your life, see, in the Laodicean age, we're like, no, stay away from me. I'm cool. I'm praying five minutes in the morning. I'm, I'm good. But in a true culture of love and power and shakers, we welcome the people in our lives that speak into our lives because they truly love us. If you have people around you who don't have the honesty enough to say the hard things, my proposal to you is that they don't truly love you. Christ loved that Laodicean church so much. He said, I got to shake you a little bit. I got to shake you a little bit. And that's true love. Because once we're fetched, we can change the world. It's exactly what happened in John the Baptist's life. I love what happens next. John chapter 1, we get a different version of how Christ came to the earth. The spiritual side of, of the story rather than the physical side. And in this first chapter of John, we get a glimpse of the ripple effect of a shaker. Watch this. It's beautiful. In John chapter 1 and verse 35, we get, a, we get an insight of John the Baptist. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. He had some people following him. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said these words as a shaker would. Look over there. It's the Lamb of God. You see, shakers are not just ticked off and telling you what they don't like about you. They're always pointing you to Christ, to the Lamb of God. When two of the disciples, in verse 37, heard him say this, they followed Jesus. In verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon Peter and tell him, we found the Messiah, that's the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. You see, the power of a Quaker is he shakes you and you're like, whoo, I needed that wake up and you'll go shake somebody else. Whoo, and you'll give them the best Christmas gift they could ever have because it's out of love. I've lived in big cities for a number of years, uh, Kansas City and, and Boston, Louisville, different cities. And one of the cities I was living in, I was driving downtown, you know, downtown big cities, they, they can get pretty crazy. And one time I, I, I made this quick right turn onto the street. It was about six lanes of traffic. The problem was, when I made this right turn, the six lanes of traffic were all coming my way. 
I turned right onto a one-way street. Because big cities, that's how they typically operate. And they were not going slow. They were barreling down. And I found myself in the middle of the road. And when we find ourselves in the middle of the road, you have to do something radical. Had I kept going, other people would have gotten injured. So I had to go with something radical. So I took that car and I whipped it up on the sidewalk. Now, I killed a few folks. but (laughs) Ran over a hot dog stand. That was pretty awesome. I'm just kidding. There are times when we find ourselves in the middle of the road and we think, well, it's all about us. It's not. You see, had John the Baptist not done his duty and loved the people around him enough to shake them, then there wouldn't have been an Andrew and there wouldn't have been a Peter. And if there hadn't been a Peter, Gentiles would have been. The ripple effect is amazing. And if we think we can just keep driving in the wrong way in the middle of the road, people around us will get injured. They will. This is a game of life and death. It's not church Sunday school stories. People around you desperately need to know that God is alive in you. You see, in our vision, we have three very distinct measurables as a Christian grows. The first one is imitate. No matter how long you've been in the faith, we learn by imitating others and saying, man, there there are men in this church I'm imitating the way they treat their wife. I'm imitating the way they treat their kids. I'm imitating their longevity in the faith. I'm imitating what they watch and what they don't watch. I'm imitating the way they lead. I'm learning through imitation. Then we say the next step is at one point, you have to take the spoon, put it in the cereal and bring it to your own mouth. You have to initiate some of the things in your own life. But the highest level of spiritual uh, uh, measurable is this, instigate instigate. That means it's not all incoming. It's outgoing. You're instigating in others. You're being a shaker. You're being a Quaker. Why? Because then the story moves from John the Baptist to Peter, to Andrew, to Peter, and to the whole world. And that's how God advances his story. So in this Christmas season, give a gift that really counts. Be honest with someone And be willing to have honesty delivered to you. It is a tremendous, tremendous gift. And in a way, if you don't, all the gifts that we do give, they're only middle of the road. We speak honestly. I think about my own life as I close today. I think about the, the men and the women who all along the way have been Quakers for me. C.M. Titus, a man from Kerala, India, who preached the gospel on May 2nd, 1982, when I heard the gospel for the hundred millionth time, but I heard it for the first time. And I gave my heart to Christ, and every single week for a year, Titus, as we called him, because his first name was too long to pronounce <laughs> Titus poured into me. I moved to a different city. There was an 80-year-old woman, Helene Royster. Her son was a missionary to Bolivia. She had a ministry to soldiers who was unbelievable at Fort Knox. I literally saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young men come to Christ. And Every single week she called me and poured two to three hours. Steve, be careful. You're getting educated. You can get proud. Proud. Be humble. Spend time with God. She was a huge fan of Oswald Chambers. Be approachable. Steve, be approachable. Steve, are you hearing me? Be approachable. This 80-year-old woman was shaking me because she understood the power of Of the ripple of advancing the story. I could tell you about college pastor Alan. I could tell you about my good friend who spent a dozen years now in Taiwan. Whose name is Dave. I could talk to you about Tony. I could talk to you about Bob. I could talk to you about all of these men along my way. And women along my way. Who have invested. Who had. Who loved me enough. And had the courage enough to instigate and shake. They have been the greatest 
gift givers ever in my life. So give the gift of love to someone and shake up their world this week and this season. Father, thank you for who you are in our life and who you send in our lives. Left to ourselves, God, you know where we stand in the middle. You know, God, that there are times when we waver between two things, whether that be our priorities, our schedules, our relationships, our filters, whatever those things are, God, our passion. I pray, God, today that people in this room will give you the freedom to shake them to Theos, to be in God with enthusiasm. And I, I pray that we'll meditate with the, on the relationships that we have, God. That we would love those around us enough that at times when necessary and when appropriate, God, will shake. And God, help us if we need to be fetched from certain lukewarm areas of our life, God. We give ourselves to you. And as hard and challenging as it is from our human side, God, we end where we began. Take all of me, God. Take all of us. Take all of us. And in doing so, God, we will advance the greatest story the world has ever known. For Christ. Amen.